Welcome to Meet the Filmmakers at the Apple Store, Regent Street in London. Would you please welcome our guest moderator, film editor at Time Out London, Dave Calhoun. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'd just like to say again, welcome here to the Apple Store on uh, Regent Street in London. Welcome to this special event to celebrate the release of The Way, Way Back, which is being a Fox, uh, Fox Searchlight film being released here in the UK on August 28th. Um, we've got two very special guests, the uh, writer and direct the writer-directors of the film, who also appear in it as well. But before I introduce them and say a little bit more about them and the film, uh, I'd like to introduce the trailer for the film so we can get a taste of um, what we're going to be talking about. Duncan, are you sleeping? No. Let me ask you something. On a scale of 1 to 10, what do you think you are? I don't know. Pick any number. Scale of 1 to 10. A six. I think you're a three. In your side, is pleasure. Boom, pleasure. Well, since I've been dating your mom, I don't see you putting yourself out there, bud. Ew, what are you staring at, pervs? Oh, you're kidding me. <laughs> oh, you brought me a man. Hello, sailor. Oh, hey. It's sexy, huh? Totally blows. It's like spring break for adults. They drink all the beer. Fred, I'm gonna have to ask you to leave. You're having way too much fun. It's making everyone uncomfortable. Okay. I'm just kidding. Wow. Are you for real? Lewis! Look, I'm a man Duncan here. These don't have any mesh, so you're basically going commando. Watch Sid and your junk will fall out. Found that out the hard way to birthday party. Does your mom know you work here? Who's that? Just a girl. She's older than me. What are you doing over here talking to us and not over there sealing the deal with that cougar? Well, maybe, Roddy, if you guys hadn't called me over here. <laughs> Duncan, please return to your lady friend. Please let her know that this conversation was entirely about her. Where have you been? Nora? Hey, Duncan. If we were going to make this work, then there has to be trust. What's going on? I wish you could stay here forever. There's a whole world out there for you, Duncan. You gotta go your own way. And you, my friend, are going your own way. You got a hell of a kid here. Thank you, and I'd like to welcome our special guests, Nat Faxon and Jim Rash. Yay. So we got more. Oh, yeah, Thank you. Thank you. Hello. Welcome. Hello. Jim Rash. Thank yes. Nat Faxon. Yes. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Thank, Thank you very you much. Being here. Welcome to the Apple Store. Um, I think you can see from the trailer, it's, a, it's a, certainly a very funny film. It's also a very poignant film as well, and I think we'll, we'll get into that. That very special tone, I think, the film achieves in a minute. But first, I'd like to introduce at more length Nat and Jim, just to give you some sense of their, their background and their other work. Um, they are American writers, directors, and actors, and um, their new comedy, The Way, Way Back, is the first film that they've both written and directed together. And as I think you'll have seen in the trailer, they both also appear in it in two small but hilarious roles. I think you've definitely given yourself um, well, you some yeah, very you good characters. You have to selfish sometimes. Um, it's, uh, it's certainly a very funny film, and it's both warm and, and moving as well. And just to tell you a bit about the story, it tells of an awkward and, I'd say, unhappy 14-year-old 
boy called Duncan, who's played by Liam James, and he goes on holiday with his mum, played by Tony Collette, and her mum's his mum's new boyfriend, played by um, Steve Carell, in a particularly unappealing role and surprising role, I'd say, mm -hmm. for Steve Carell as well. Um, while staying at his mum's boyfriend's uh, beach house, um, surrounded by his old by his uh, mum's boyfriend's old friends, and as they slip into their old ways, he slips off and meets, makes a new friend of an adult played by uh, Sam Rockwell, who's the manager of a local water park as well. It's probably best described as a, a very appealing, likeable man-child in some right. ways, yes. who um, still plays Pac-Man, loves hanging out at the water park, loves, loves getting stuck in there as well. Um, the Way Way Back, um, as I said, is Nat and Jim's second feature film script. Uh, they, together they wrote Alexander Payne's 2011 film, The Descendants, for which he won the Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay as well. Yes. Um, we're going to see two or three clips from the film during it. But to, to kick off, I'd like to ask, I mean, you, you write together, you're now directing together as well. I'd like just to hear briefly about how you, how you started to work together, actually. As I said, this is the second, second cinema script you've, you've worked together. I know you were both involved in the, the very influential L.A., uh, improv improvisational comedy troupe, The Groundlings. Is, is, that how you, is that how you first met and started working together? And how do you think that defined your, the, way, the way you work together and your, your approach to telling stories? Yeah, it was, it was we met. Uh, the Groundlings Theatre obviously is, is rooted in sketch comedy and improv. And uh, Nat and I met there probably 15 years ago, and we were students in the school program, mm -hmm. and then uh, subsequently became members of the company. And in that process, I think that we've always sort of operated from the sort of tent poles of improv when it comes to writing and to directing. I mean, the idea of, of listening and giving and taking and uh, sort of uh, the idea of yes and as far as working in a collaboration of, of listening to one another and checking our ego in the side. So I think we sort of approach that. And same thing with our actors allowing uh, the trust of, uh, although we didn't have time to like improvise much in the movie, uh, we do come from that sort of act acting background, and so it was important to us to have that sort of nurture um, and open-ended idea of, of improv. So that's pretty much how we approach everything, you know, from in our writing and directing. Uh, as I said at the beginning, I think one of the very special things about The Way Way Back is how it, it, is, it is very, very funny, but it's not, it's not an escapist comedy. It very much, it very much exists in the real world, uh, real problems, strong themes to do with growing up, you know, finding yourself, discovering who you are, moving away from your family, really, and seeing seeing a wider world. I'd like to ask, how do you, when, when you wrote it and when you came to, I know it had about eight years of gestation before you actually shot it. By the time you came to shot it, how much did you think of it as a comedy or how much did you think of it as a drama? And what, what, what were you looking for in terms of bringing the two together? The tone, really, what tone were you after? Yeah. Well, I think it it's originally started out as a big, broad comedy idea that we were going to set at a water park and use our sort of background in sketch comedy and, 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 you know, we thought the water park, what a great environment for all these eclectic characters. And, um, and then Jim had this very personal story that, that is the first scene of our movie. And, uh, and I'll let maybe you Well, yeah, I was going to say, you, you get in the trailer, but the very first scene of the movie, which, which starts in the car where Steve Carell's character is asking our lead, uh, Duncan, what he thinks he is on a scale from one to ten. And uh, he obviously says he's a six, and they get told that he's a three. And that actual scene happened to me when I was 14. 
and I was in a station wagon. I survived, don't worry. Uh, clearly, I survived. Jim's a five now, I'm a five guys, now, so according to... Not... <laughs> Nat gives me a scale every day, and I, I go up and down, which is sort of sad. You do. Uh, today, I am... Like a four? Oh, woof. Yeah. Oof, I got to <laughs> work. Let's raise your game, bro. Well, maybe this Q&A will go raise well, and I'll up. get up to a seven. Uh, so it, it, that scene happened to me because I was uh, in a station wagon uh, with my stepfather at the time, and uh, we were on our way to our summer vacation. We would always go to the same location. And the second year going, he had that conversation with me because he felt like I wasn't taking advantage of the lake and all the opportunities. And I was staying around the house. And his tac tactful way of telling it was that I was a three. So we, <laughs> we used that uh, moment in which we love to write moments like that because it's cathartic. And uh, sort of launched us into what that balance became, which was we had a balance between the family life yeah. And the water park. And the water park. Yeah, and it was really just about making sure they could exist within the same movie. So Totally, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think when we started with that story, the family sort of became more prominent. And um, and then it, it just kind of turned out where the water park provided, you know, some levity and, and breath and release from some of the more dramatic moments that were existing in the house. And they, you know, sort of went hand in hand by the end of it. So I think we were excited with the tone that we ended up with, but that wasn't necessarily where we started. And the father, as I said at the beginning, the father character you're, you're talking about is played by Steve Carell, which is particularly striking because we're much more used to seeing him in more in affable, certainly likable roles yeah. as well, playing more affable, likable characters. I wonder if you could talk a bit about you know, why you decided he'd be a great person to play, to play this role. You know, what, why you decided really to cast him against type? Uh, yeah, for, for uh, the reasons to sort of um, understand the, the character of Trent is what he's playing. And he's playing, uh, it was based on my stepfather, but in this movie he's playing like uh, the new boyfriend of, of Tony Collette's character. And it was important to us to have Trent have this sort of, um, well, Steve brings this sort of innate likability to Trent that really starts to sort of formulate this sort of well-rounded understanding of this sort of tragic male character you know, who is sort of stuck in his ways and is his worst enemy. You know, he's sort of stuck in this um, saying things that he wants but can't follow through with those actions as you see throughout the movie. Uh, yet you understand in the movie why at this moment uh, Tony Collect's character Pam is attracted to him and what makes him attractive to his friends and makes him social. So it's, it's really to, to give us that uh, extra layer and, and give us that little bit of sympathy we need. Uh, we should see our first clip. Uh, if, we, if we could see the first clip, please. Lewis! Hook up my man Duncan here with one of our finest rentals, would you? Some kid threw up near crazy tubes. Sexy. Let's not try to impress them all at once, huh? That will not be a challenge. Lewis is kind of over this place. I told you I'm not long for here. No, I remember that conversation in 2003, 5, 11, April. Yes, sir, right? I can't eat that now because your dirty mouth's been on it. I just told you there's some things I want to do. Prove it. Without thinking, Redlock 3, go! I've seen New Mexico, invent something, become a storm chaser. You had me until number three. I think you gotta go to school for that. Look, there's a storm. Where? Over there. Cool. Let's go get it. Got it. He actually is. He's been studying meteorology since preschool. Don't let the Dahmer glasses fool you. These don't have any mesh, so you're basically going commando. Watch sitting, your junk will fall out. Found that out the hard way at a birthday party. And like that, you're impressed and grossed out. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, and you're welcome for uh, the look I had there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I looked at... <laughs> I was about to fall over. Mm -hmm. I was so stressed. People ask, 
did you lose weight for the role? And I think, oh, no, it's just stress eating my body. Uh, and that's what I look like with a handlebar mustache. I'm so glad you went against type. Jim usually goes out for more action hero type yeah. roles. <laughs> it was <laughs> hard. nice to see him stretch. It was hard for me to play that sort of nebbish and curmudgeon. So, mm. uh, you know, you got to do it, you know? We should talk a bit about Sam Rockwell's character. Yeah. He's, he's very, it's a very, very funny performance. And he's a character yes, he's who's constantly throwing out gags. He's a, he's a, real, he's a real performer. And I mean, one of the themes of the film is is growing up, and on the surface, you know, the, the, the paternal character, Steve Carell, you know, the, the, uh, the potential stepfather, the new boyfriend, you know, he's the one who's got the, he's got the house, he's got the job, he's got the friends who've got the big boat and everything, whereas Sam Rockwell's character is the one who just wants to play Pac-Man. He has a job, but he, you know, he, act, he acts like a child, but in the end, he's the one who is, you know, he's more emotionally mature, really. I mean, did you feel you had something to say there about you know, what it means to grow up, or what it means about not to grow up, or remaining, mm -hmm. remaining, you know, keep it, hanging on to something of your childhood, really. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think, you know, we, we do have sort of two parallel characters in, in Trent and in Owen in the movie. Um, and, you know, one is, one is sort of casting our protagonist out, and the other end is sort of accepting him and, and bringing him in. And I, I think Sam, you know, the, the template for the character is you know, was when we were writing was that sort of Bill Murray from Meatballs, um, someone who's very charismatic, uh, someone who, you know, is, is confidence comes from within and um, is a, this perfect mentor to this kid. And, and while he, he does, uh, you know, bring this kid in and, and, you know, get him to come out of his shell, we didn't want to make him, you know, too perfect in a sense. And I think... Um, you know, I think he's he has some self-awareness that while, you know, the the summer job of working at a water park is is fun and and you know um, he can joke around and sort of create his own hours there. He is you know an older guy working there. He is you know you see him on a on a rainy day in his sort of apartment in the water park. There is a tinge of you know that his life maybe hasn't you know completely worked out, you know, that he has settled in a way. And I think it's important for him to sort of relay that message to Duncan, you know, yeah. that, that there is more out there in the world. And know? I think it's like the common, you know, all the characters, because, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Alison Janney playing uh, a Betty character, the neighbor, and Tony Collette's character, Pam, was in this new relationship. Everyone's sort of having a coming of age almost moment in this story. And so, mm -hmm. and Sam included, in the sense that we really are drawn to characters when they're in flux, when they're in between chapters of their lives, when they're trying to figure out what that next thing is, whether it's divorce or a blended family situation or, or, or stuck in, in, in a world or trying to grow into the next... Uh, phase of who you are, and I think that's really the common theme uh, that links all of these characters, not just Duncan's coming of age, but everyone's coming of age. Yeah. Before we see the next clip, I'd just like to ask a bit more about the decision to you know, set essentially half the film in, in the water park, and we really are moving between you know, a more domestic situation, a darker situation really, and the more light world of the water park. Yeah. What, what, how, how did you latch onto this idea that the water park would be a great theatre to begin? Because it sounds like that was the beginning almost. It, it was, like, like Nat said, where the, the beginning was, but it, real, we, it almost took on uh, the role of Oz for mm. this movie in the sense that it became this sort of uh, paradise uh, as, as run down as it might seem, it was perfect for these people and becomes perfect uh, at least as an acceptance or a place for acceptance for Duncan. And so that really was the role in balancing out the two, the two worlds, which is the home life at the beach house and that. Uh, so really it was just sort of using that as that. that. Yeah, it, al it also worked you know, uh, nicely in a cinematic 
manner in the sense that the, the stuff that we shot at the house, we, we tried to, um, you know, yeah, visually. visually be sort of an observer and be a little more distant and be on, you know, uh, be static and, and shoot maybe from a, a lower angle so you see the ceiling, you, see, you feel the suffocation of that and the isolation that, that Duncan feels in that, in that place. And then versus the water park, which is so bright and it's got neon colors and we use Steadicam to create movement and just kind of create that alive sense. And, and as Duncan is awakening, you know, the park is awakening, you know, awake as well, so. There's a great bad taste moment where your character, who's playing one of the assistants on the top of the water slide, is constantly asking, you know, the women in the bikinis to stop and yeah, hold, stop and hold, so he can check out their bodies. I'm wondering where you got. It's it's a very funny. It's a very funny moment in the film that it's just the right side of bad taste, and it works. <laughs> where, where did that come from? Where did, oh, it, where wow. did you? Uh, I am. It came from Jim. <laughs> yeah, it came uh, from me. Yeah. Surprise! And, <laughs> yeah. and I just went along with it, even <laughs> though it's slightly in bad taste. Uh, <laughs> No, I, I don't know. That was sort of in the script for a while. And mm -hmm. it's funny, when we were shooting at the water park, there was an employee there who came up to me after seeing the movie and was like, man, did, you, did I tell you that? Because we do that. Yeah. We totally check out it's girls. And I was like, oh, oh, oh that's so great, I yeah. guess. Yeah, well, it I doesn't make know. you feel very good about it. You're like, oh, okay. I know. It made me sort of feel bad. But it, well, I think it works because it feels real. It feels like yeah, you can imagine that people in the hothouse of a park like that probably do end up yes. creating their own rituals and habits. Yes, they and definitely yes. do. Yes. Uh, it was important to teach Duncan all the lessons, both good <laughs> Whether they're good and lessons or, or not lascivious. good lessons. It's, yeah. let, let, let's see the next clip, please. Mm -hmm. Mom, know you work here? No. Oh. Nice. Please report to the Administrative Office of International. Duncan, please report to the Administrative Office of International. I have to announce this over the PA. As my voice won't carry that far, my throat suffered major damages during an intense makeout session with Lewis's mom. She has a forked tongue and a touch of the herpes. I don't have a mom. I have two dads. In your face. Hurry. Hurry. Please, hurry up. This is pressing, pressing, urgent, urgent. I can't tell you how pressing. You can't fathom how pressing. How's it going? What's up? Did you need something? No. <laughs> Who's that big guy? I don't know. She's older than me. So what are you doing over here talking to us and not over there sealing the deal with that cougar? Well, maybe, Roddy, if you guys hadn't called me over here. Oh. <laughs> return to your lady friend. Duncan, please return to your lady friend. Please let her know that this conversation was entirely about her. In other news, this is very awkward for you. <laughs> Thank you. I think one thing we should talk about, which you can see there, I think, is that Liam James gives a really, really lovely performance. It's wonderful. As Duncan, you, really, you mentioned coming out of his shell. You do really see the character coming out of the shell through the film. And at the beginning, you can barely see his eyes beneath the hair, and he's certainly not smiling. And here you can see that he's, yeah, this he's, is he's gaining yeah. confidence. This is, he's starting to gain that confidence. But yeah, Liam came to us via uh, Vancouver. He uh, flew down to Los Angeles to audition, and I don't know if people are familiar or watched The Killing at all, but that's where uh, we weren't familiar with it, but that was one of his, um, you know, certainly where he might be known from. But uh, yeah, he just was very natural. You know, we saw a lot of... Uh, young actors who were all good, but there was a lot of polish to them. There was a lot of, uh, there was many adults working the room, and he was just very real, and and you felt like he uh, was this kid, you know. And, and certainly as we shot, we realized that, you know, we had struck gold in the sense that uh, Liam was sort of 
almost having a coming of age at the same time of shooting a movie. You know, he really bonded with Sam uh, as well. So we're sort of watching that mirror each other. So it's really wonderful. And obviously this is a very special project for you and it's the first time you've, you've moved from writing to writing and directing. Mm -hmm. uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, you won the Oscar for The Descendants in early 2012. It was in cinemas uh, in late 2011. And the, you've been writing and, and developing the project for many years, but did, did the Oscar win give you the chance to direct the film? And did it, I mean, maybe had you wanted to do that, but did the Oscar really sort of give you the opportunity? Yeah, I mean, it certainly provided us with momentum to come back to it. I, you know, we, like you said, we did write this script eight years ago, and it, and it ended up getting us the job for The Descendants. And, um, and then with, you know, the success of The Descendants, we were able to, you know, come back to this and um, revisit it. And, and I think, you know, with the Oscar, it, it certainly didn't greenlight the movie, um, but it did allow us to start the conversation again, you know, with... Um, people because you know when a script sits around for a while the people get nervous and they don't understand why it hasn't been made and there must be some reason and um, so it, it at least allowed us to sort of gain a little bit momentum and, and get the ball rolling again. How would you each, I mean having worked with each other on the set now, how, how would you each describe each other as, as directors? Oh, describe each other as directors. I oh, mean, this is dangerous. This is dangerous. Very dangerous. This might get really emotional. What would you? I mean, you're. I would say you're dependent, you oh. know, on me. Um, <laughs> you know, it's all fair. I like being complimented, but then it boomerangs <laughs> back to you. <laughs> uh, no, I think I think, uh, you know, we we tried to, um, you know, use our experience as actors and and in in how we direct and, and um, thinking of experiences on sets uh, in, in casts that we were a part of that felt fluid and loose and comfortable and trusting. And I think we tried to sort of instill all of those things in our directing. And, and so I think we were very aware of that, you know, and, and tried to not overnote our actors and, and tried to support choices that they made and, um, and then, you know, allow each other you know, if somebody felt strongly about it, you know, the, the latitude to, to speak their mind, in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, other than you being dependent, I mean, I think we were pretty unifying. Yeah, that feels you know? good. I feel like he <laughs> rests his case on that. Did, did yeah. either of you have any great fears going into directing this? Or, or did you, you, had, yeah. had you, had you, were you confident as first-time directors? I think we could be confident. Uh, no, it was stress. Let's not. Let's be honest. It was very stressful. Yes. Uh, but I think it was a good stress in the sense that we were up for the challenge. I I, th I think we could be comfortable with knowing the script, knowing these characters, knowing how to communicate with the actors. You know, I think that was the thing we could go in with. You know, and then surrounding ourselves with uh, just some really great experience as on the crew front uh, provided us with uh, a support that we needed as we sort of evolved as, uh, uh, as directors on the whole. But I, I think we had the confidence of, of, of dealing with actors, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I think the stress really came out of like logistical things, you know, weather and... Nat's attitude. My attitude, <laughs> um, which was very logistical. No, he's, yeah. he's got a temper. <laughs> so we've spoken about how you work together as, as directors, but obviously you've worked together as writers for years. I mean, mm -hmm. you've been writing partners for a long time. Curious to know how how do two people go about writing a script together? Well, how do you two people go about writing a script together? 
Well, yeah, I think there's obviously there are different styles. There's a lot of partnerships uh, that operate by separating um, scenes and going off, and you write that scene, I'll write that scene, and we'll come back together and we'll fix it together. Um, but for us, because of our improv background, we just work better in the room together, I think, as far as uh, spitballing ideas, uh, breaking the story, coming up with the outline, working out the treatment. Um, if anything, you know, outside of that, you know, yes, when it came to like maybe typing up or conceptualizing the those action p periods in the structure, maybe uh, maybe that my neurotic brain uh, would quarantine for a little bit. Yes, uh, I'm also not smart enough to do it by myself, so <laughs> I I definitely need Jim uh, to help. So that's really what it comes down to. <laughs> yes, uh, we're gonna take. We're going to take some questions for the last 10 minutes uh, from you, the audience. So please do think about anything you'd like to ask uh, Nat or Jim or both Nat and Jim. Before we do that, we've got one more clip lined up. And I think I'd like us to see that and then we'll, we'll come to you. So please do think of anything you'd like to ask. Oh, you Thank God. Another night of drinking alone, I was going to kill myself. Hey. Yeah, I'm off the wagon again. Uh -huh. Accept it and move on. <laughs> Oh my God, press my laundry. Oh, oh Trent. How you doing? I'm good, like this. Thanks. Love your ride. Does the uh, A-Track still work? What, this? This is exactly the car my dad used to drive us in. Huh, old and crappy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. And that's Alison Janney. She's wonderful in the yeah. movie. It's and Betty. she plays a character called Betty, who's this, as we can yeah. tell, alcohol-soaked neighbor. That, that literally is the beginning uh, of what is on the page, a five-page monologue from her. She sort of catches them up on everything that's happened over the year that they were apart, you know, in the summer. Uh, she was inspired by um, uh, Christmas cards that uh, we would get, you know, where families would, um, it's like a photocopy, photocopy of, a, of a, like just basically everything that's happened to them over the year. Like, here's what's happened. Bob got a promotion. You know, little Susie is, is finally got into that dance class that she yeah, wanted to get into. Very impersonal. Very impersonal and sort of like, here's our year, happy holidays. Mm. And we had a friend who got a really negative one, like the opposite of like, oh, Bob got laid off, you know, yeah. little Susie. It's just a, yeah, that happy holidays. Happy holidays. <laughs> Our year was crap. You know, that kind of thing. And we just love that I unfiltered person. So that's the inspiration for that character. It must be great fun writing a character yeah, like that's, that. Yeah, that and Owen were, which Sam's character were a lot of fun to, yeah. to write. Excellent. Well, let's take questions from the audience, please. If you could uh, put your hand up. I think there's a microphone going around. Hi, guys. Hello. Um, I'm an actor writer as well, and I often work with uh, another writer. And I was just wondering, um, when you're working on dialogue for a scene, if sometimes you know you take one character, you take another, or how that you know how that works, and then if you can share like a embarrassing or fun anecdote from shooting. Oh, from shooting. Uh, yeah. Well, as far as uh, again, sort of like our improv and character training and stuff, I think we we tend to like to. Uh, think that we can be both all the characters. So it is sort of improvising through that dialogue, specifically like with Betty and, and Owen, it was fun to both sort of uh, play with that. I, I don't yes. think that any, any, either of us were particularly like, oh, you're more that or me more that. No, although you preferred the women characters. Yeah, well, you know. And you had okay. a box of wigs, so yeah. I guess. <laughs> That's the strength of having no hair. You, yeah. you really disappear into wigs, so um, it just No, we definitely, me. like, you know, We'd go back and forth the with Reagan. dialogue, and uh, and then we would get mad at each other because neither of us would 
record it or write it down, and then we would forget what we did. And then it was like, why didn't you write that down? I, know. Like, I don't know. What did you say? I don't know. And then we have to start all over again. Um, and as actor writers, are you constantly playing out the characters between each oh other? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the sort of fun of it, you know. Especially, uh, especially when you, uh, even in the rewriting process, it's nice to sort of go back and and talk it out loud to sort of see where you can pull back or uh, you've overextended the moment or you've explained too much or you're. I think that anything you're always looking for restraint. So that first draft, that sort of spit draft or whatever, is just sort of purging out the story and it might be overwritten, and then the, n the next phase is sort of start to pull back and, and, and think about how we communicate and say less with more and all those kind of things, and that becomes fun as well. I'm trying to think of an anecdote uh, for part two of that. Oh, yeah, funny anecdote from the set. Mm -hmm. Was there something I did that was hilarious to you? I don't remember a thing. That's okay. The, um, <laughs> no, I mean, I do, you know, I know this isn't, I don't, it's not very fun, but we, we were shooting at a water park and it was, you know, very warm every single day and you were sweating and the park was open while we were shooting. We would shut down a ride, but, you know, you saw all these kids like splashing around in water and all you wanted to do was go down the slide, but you couldn't because uh, you were shooting a movie uh, and in, in a very small amount of time. But finally, the water park did uh, allow us to stay late one night after they had shut down and after we had finished shooting and we just dragged a cooler of horrible domestic beer around and went down all the slides like with all the cast and crew and it was like an incredible release and a lot of fun and Jim threw up in the kiddie pool and Oh my god, I forgot. No <laughs> yeah. what? No, I did not. <laughs> just made the story I was better, terrified by some of the rides. But Jim did, it took me a while to go down one. You've never heard a man scream in a higher pitch voice wow. than Jim going like <laughs> it was higher than that. Did, did, you, did you find that the did you find that the real water park staff were the kind of characters that you'd imagine would be working in the, in a place like that? Or had, or had you already gone yes. to a water park and spoken to well, people? Well, we have. We grew up going certainly the ones uh, on the east coast in the states, and and um, and they are obviously ripe with with interesting people. Yeah. But yeah, it was a great. This was a great family owned uh, water park. You know, it's been around forever, so it really yeah. had a. It, if there's anything had like a really close community feel, it really was this place. But yeah. there were people that were employed there that had been there for a very long yeah. time. Yeah, like yeah. we're there as kids and latched onto it. And now we're mm. working there. Yeah, I like your character who refuses. Yeah, to refuses, refuses to leave. To yeah, leave. or yes. wants to leave but can't. Uh, there's another question there. Please. Hello. 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 Um, I've got a question about. Uh, you were saying earlier about how you know lots of the parts of the film came from your childhood and your stepdad and things like that. I was wondering if the films you watched when you were that age have kind of come into these into this film as well. You know, you talked about meatballs. Is there other like influences that yeah. have kind of like floated into this? For sure. Yeah. I, um, certainly, I think you know, coming of age stories have been around for a long time and, and the ones that we grew up and loved, you know, um, such as Stand By Me and, you know, uh, more recently Almost Famous, uh, Dazed and Confused, um, and, and then a lot of the John Hughes films we loved, you know, growing up, um, and then even old classics uh, that we watched with our cinematographer before shooting this movie um, Summer of 42 and 400 Blows. Um, I, you know, we, we, it's not a, uh, a new story by any means, you know, but we were honest, trying to speak honestly and uniquely to it and, and as um, best we could. Uh, but those were certainly movies that, you know, 
from the past generations that I think we feel an affinity towards and tell a similar story, you know. And we tried to use those to create a sense of nostalgia with, with this movie. Like, there's a sense of a throwback, and, and we decided to sort of uh, embrace the idea that it was sort of a, create a timeless feel in the sense of when this is taking place, because like, you know, Trent owns a 1970 a state wagon, you know, station wagon, and, and Owen's car is in the 80s, and uh, the music that we selected was sort of across across the decades and different styles because we wanted it to sort of replicate sort of the way the characters are and what they would listen to. And uh, while we have some phones in there to tell you that it's current day, it, it feels a little bit more like a sense of uh, a different you know, time, but it's sort of stuck in this period of time. And I think that's, those are the movies that we loved and we grew up on and, and we miss. So that's sort of what we were hoping for, you know. It feels like a distant cousin of The Graduate in some ways. Yes. Well. It's a young, yes. young, younger character, obviously, but the, yeah. the two lives, the domestic life, the, the being drawn into the new world. Yes, yeah. very much I so. Think. Yeah, the American, actually, one sheet, the poster, is, has similar tones to that as well, I yeah. think. You know. yeah. um, please? Hi. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I'm so nervous, so sorry if right. I acted like that. Oh, please. Um, I was just wondering, is there any way that your character, Jim, could get his own... Storm chasing film because I think that'll be epic. Yes, <laughs> yes. make that happen. Just because you said it, we're gonna do it. Because now I know that the masses have called for it. Yeah, uh, it, it would be a joy because it took me it took me a while to convince me to even be in the movie because I was so stressed and nervous about the idea of of writing and directing, let alone you know to have him direct me and me direct him and then whatever we tried to do when we were both on camera, which was probably the uh, as soon as <laughs> the as hardest part. Though as soon as I started mentioning other actors that could play that part, Jim was like, well, I mean, maybe I could do it. I, know. I, mean, I guess. <laughs> I know, nothing nothing gets you quicker, faster. Oh, well, if he's going to do it, I'm going to do it. <laughs> uh, but no, but it would be fun to do something else with, with, with anything, uh, you know. Yeah. Don't you want to? You want to see me do a bigger movie just with my character? Yeah, yeah. No, I... This you can work craft services. All right, let's move on to the next oh. <laughs> Um The next question was there, please. Hi. Hi. Hello. Um, I had a question. You're directing, writing, and acting. Did you try and separate those three roles, or did you think it helped to do sort of put them all together for the final thing? Mm -hmm. How did you work with those three roles? Yeah. Well, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I mean, I think um, you know we we spoke with some other directors before we shot this movie to sort of try to glean any advice that we could and. We had one friend who gave us, you know, some good advice in the sense of he basically said, you, it's going to be so crazy and so busy. Do your best to, to get the script as close as you possibly can to, you know, what you're going to shoot. And um, so I think we tried to do that and, and you know, r fix anything that needed to be fixed. So the script was obviously there are little tweaks that happen on set. You, we improvised, you know, on occasion, and, and you throw something, things yeah. out on occasion to an actor, you know. But for the most part, you know, you don't, you don't want to have any large structural changes, I think, that you're needing to do on the fly, because it, you just don't have the time for it. So I think writing was sort of the first piece that we, you know, um, tried to take off the table. And then uh, while, you know, then directing, as far as acting, we had put our scenes towards the end, you know, of um, the, we, we were shooting all the water park stuff first and then all the house stuff second. So we tried to put our acting scenes towards the end of the water park 
period so that we could sort of get our feet wet as directors and sort of uh, get a handle on the rhythm of the days and, and um, you know, get some more, gain confidence in this new venture. And then it poured rain and for two days and we were forced to do our scenes, our scenes first off right off the bat. So I think we had intended, you know, to, to direct really and then act later. Be very smart. But that the weather sort of forced our hand, and we were both in a scene, you know, the, on day the first one. day, and we didn't have the luxury of playback uh, where you can kind of see what you had done. So, uh, you know, at the end of the the first time we were on camera, there was this long awkward pause, you know, where we were sort of looking around like I don't know what's happening, I don't either. Boy, this is weird. And then from the other room, our producer, you know, yelled out like. I, I don't uh, cut guys. <laughs> we're like, yeah, let's cut it. Let's cut it. We will. Let's cut Did it. We right get all there. that silence. We we're going to need that silence. Yeah, we wanted post. that silence. You know, yeah. I, I think our crew looked at each other like, wow, this is going to be a long haul. <laughs> but uh, so we were sort of thrust into the fire right off the bat. But I think, I, you know, you set out with plans, but it's all, you know, it all fluctuates and changes and you really can't control how it all is going to work. Mm hmm. Well, thank you very much. I mean, to bring things to a close, I just want to remind everyone that The Way Way Back is being released in the UK on August the 28th. Yep. Um, yes. Thank you both for such a special, warm yes. and funny film as well. And oh thank yeah. you both, thank you. Nat Faxon and Jim Rash, for sharing your experiences and ideas with us this evening. Thank, uh, you, yeah, very thank you very thank much you. for coming thank out. You. Oh, thank you. Thank you.